It was already late. Brian and I had been friends for years, acquaintances in high school, but then getting close through our respectively wild, increasingly weird college phases. But now we were back in our hometown in his living room and it was late. Still, we decided at the end of the night to break out a VHS tape and load up the VCR with the musical from the spring of our senior year in high school. I can't remember if we fast forwarded to just the parts we were in or if we watched the whole thing, but there was one moment in particular that we were anticipating. We wanted to watch it and sort of subject ourselves to it. Total fluffernutter of a musical, Brigadoon. It's complete with like bad Scottish accents done by high schoolers. By the way, our series for August is Life is a Cabaret, featuring like music and lessons from different musicals every week. And Vince especially, I don't want you to worry, I'm not getting ahead of myself. Um, anyway, it was this corny old musical, Brigadoon. Brian's younger sister had been, younger brother had been in it with us, and his younger brother had the only tragic role in the play. It was he the younger brother whose character died. And it was Brian whose character had the unfortunate and impossible task of singing the line that announced the death. It's a slow, descending minor line that was meant to capture the pathos of the moment, but always, always failed to. Brian had to stand over his younger brother lying dead on the stage and announce his death with this absurd rhyming couplet. Brian had tried to persuade our music director that it was not a good idea. He had even offered an alternative, like in the right meter and everything. The alternative line was, he never listened to what any one of you said. But the director said that with the right motivation and with the right gravitas to a group consisting largely of high schoolers, Brian would be able to sell the original line. Instead, and we have proof on tape, the audience laughed every time. <laughs> it was already late when we got to the moment toward the end of the play. We watched and we again made a valiant effort not to laugh. We were in college after all, we were chock full of gravitas, we could do this. But there was a tiny little feeling in the living room, a kind of alertness to a possibility. And I said, finally, can we just this one time admit that it's really funny? So we wound the tape back and some other kids sang, lads say a prayer, I'm afraid Harry Beaton is dead. And then Brian, with his face drawn, looking at his plain killed brother laying on the stage, intoned, looks like he fell on a rock and it crushed in his head. The audience laughed and so finally, after years, we did too. We laughed until we cried. We sang the line back and forth to each other until our jaws shook from laughing and we couldn't speak. We laughed louder and louder until we heard a voice from the stairwell say, Brian, the party's over. Your guest needs to go home. Which almost killed us also. There's so many reasons to be serious. Like probably lowest on the list of reasons to be serious is trying not to wake up someone's dad in the middle of the night, but it's on the list. There's a time and a place, right? I mean, for everything there is a season. It's better to go to the house of mourning. 
Even poor, dead, fictional Harry Beaton and Brigadoon had his reasons to be serious. The plot is too ridiculous to get into, just take my word for it. But he did, and his reasons for being serious, his inability to accept, finally, I guess, the goodness all around him cost him famously and infamously his whole life. I was in a hospital elevator once with that same high school music director. A group of us kids had gone to sing holiday music to patients. In the elevator, we were joking and laughing until a woman in the elevator, her own face tight and drawn, told us to be quiet. People here are dealing with serious things, she told us. Almost certainly she was. I thought about it long and hard. I was a kid, but I, I understood a little bit of what she might be feeling. She was in no mood, and that's fair. I also understood something else already too, which is that something terrible is always happening to someone. It cannot be the reason for everyone to be serious. I mean, I still wonder about that moment. I think both of us were wrong, both of us were right. It was easy enough to can it until she got off the elevator. It must have been 30 years ago. Whatever terrible thing happened to her, it is way back in the rearview mirror. And whatever we were laughing about, I have no idea. People of faith have particular reasons to be serious. I grew up in the same pew as Chloe, a matriarch of the church who sobbed every time we had communion, thinking of the suffering that she had caused Jesus. I grew up with people who believed that faith was no laughing matter because if you didn't take it seriously, you were hellbound. Now, I swim in a sea of progressive Christians. My social media feeds are full of progressive clergy who are really the most serious, humorless people in the world, outdoing one another with seriousness. The graveness of the injustice in the world, which is correct. Something terrible is always happening to someone. And the church has too often paid too little attention. The church has too often been the source of it, the perpetrator. There are so many reasons to be serious. But I wonder how we came to attach so much importance to being serious. I mean, as people of faith, conservatives, progressives, where did we get the idea that seriousness is what God wants? That seriousness is what a life of faith should look and feel like? Are you having fun yet? The older brother in the story had reasons to be serious. If you don't know, his younger brother had run off with his share of the estate and blown it, and now had come back with kind of a worked up apology. The older brother, who Vince read about, cared about his father. The old man was getting the wool pulled over his eyes, again, by the spendthrift, shiftless younger brother. The older brother cared about the well-being of their family, which his brother was putting in jeopardy, taking off with his share, which rightfully still belonged to their father, and frankly, the older brother. That money wasn't for now. It certainly wasn't for blowing in the city, living among faithless and irreligious people. That money was for the future, all of their future. That's what he, the older brother, had been working for all along. He wasn't a spoil sport. I mean, he cared about things that mattered. The least they could do, now that the ne'er-do-well had come home to siphon off more resources, is not celebrate, not have a party for crying out loud. At the very least, he'd keep working, the sounds of the party tightening his mouth into a little serious line. 
One of the things that Jesus famously took heat for was partying, what he drank, what he ate, when he drank, how he ate with dirty hands and dirty people. He wasn't serious about the practice of religion. He was supposed to be some big teacher and instead he just hung out all the time going to dinner parties and of course disrupting them. And the party at the end of this story, the kid coming home, the party in this story was just one of many parties he used to teach about the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is like a dinner party. The kingdom is like a party thrown for almost no reason. A coin found, one sheep in a huge flock being brought back. This story of the brothers and their ridiculous prodigal dad? I mean, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. What'd you expect from the son of a guy who'd throw a lavish party after so much had already been wasted? profligate, prodigal, generous. Spin it however you want. The dad was not taking this seriously. It was Jesus. How did we end up with so much long-faced seriousness on both sides of the theological aisle following a guy like Jesus? How did we end up on this side of Easter, but so often turning back to the cross from the very beginning, from the first Easter morning, the angel said to the women in Jesus' tomb, why do you seek the living among the dead? From the very beginning, we've looked in the wrong places for Jesus. From the beginning, we've invited people to a real downer of a banquet. Come in, eat with us. We'll tell you what a sinner you are. Come in, eat with us. We'll read to you from the front page of the newspaper as though feeling bad is taking action for justice. I made the really questionable decision to Google Christianity and fun this week. Like, I, I knew it wouldn't be good. You know what I mean? That's part of why I did it. The first hit, 22 important Bible verses about partying. It is a low blow, but y'all, it was the first hit. So the preamble warned against going to parties where the only things you will find are smoking, drunkenness, worldly music, drugs, more drugs, other evilness, which is like assorted evilness, I guess, and possibly fights. It warned against going to parties and shaking your rear ends on Saturday and playing Christian on Sunday morning. It warned against fooling yourself that you're going there to evangelize because people do not go to parties hoping to find God. Wrong, wrong. It is so wrong. People are looking for God all over the damn place. They are desperate for God, for forgiveness, for food, for kindness, for music, for grace, for the idea that even with everything they've done and been through, they are loved, for the idea that now is not forever, that joy will come in the morning. They are desperate for comfort because something terrible is happening right now. Something terrible has just happened. Something terrible will happen, will always happen. There is a common disaster. The generals and doctors may kill us, but the one who was called a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, has won. He has invited us to a party, has asked, why so serious? Has asked, woman, why are you crying? There are reasons to be serious including right now. You may have personal reasons to be serious, to stay serious this morning. I believe you. And God knows. God sees you with compassion from a long way off and comes to greet you. Not just you, the spendthrift son cut from the same wasteful cloth as your dad, but you, the older brother, grunting in your work and your resentment. Honey, God says, putting a hand on your back, it's for you too. Come in. 
There are reasons to be serious, but there is no inherent value in staying serious and choosing seriousness. Instead, pick a perch, apple bough, for example, in bloom, from which you can enjoy the truth that it's all right. It's been taken care of, it's allowed, considering. Even if you've been mad, hurt, to this moment, you can set it down and come in. Hell, you can keep carrying it and come in. I mean, if you want. Setting it down is okay, too, though. No value in hanging on to it. Don't worry, seriousness will find us. It'll seek us out. The trick is to hang on to fun, to turn up the music, to lay down our tools and head into the party. Can you see him? Watching his dad go back into the house. His dad, who just said with surprise, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. Honey, come inside and celebrate. Can you feel him weighing his options? He has his reasons. He's not wrong. They could all get their hearts broken again for sure. But the day was growing short. The time was at hand. It was already late. And here at the end of the story, the party's not over. It's just getting started.